0: Yeah, my name's Joe Shriveis. Uh This is my wife Ashley here, and uh, I am just filling in for <laughs> Tanner and Andy. Um, Tanner and Andy are the normal, the normal leaders of Cross Life Normal Speakers, and they're down at the Shepherds Conference in California, and so they just kind of asked me to fill in and pinch hit, and so I'm, I'm happy to do that, and I just hope I can do a good job for you guys. Um, yeah, I'm excited to be here. I was actually roommates with Tanner, when I was in college, and so it's, it's fun to get to see, be here and be around you guys and hang out with you guys. Um, yeah, you can see here, I hope you got notes page there on, on the back side of the worship. Um, I titled this talk, Good People Go to Heaven. And I just kinda want you to think about that idea, good people go to heaven. Um, see what you think about that. Um, I'll kinda say that's the common theology of the day. If you walk out and talk to someone, I mean, chances are they're going to say something along those lines. If you're good, you're going to go to heaven. I'm, I've been pretty good, so I think I'm going to go to heaven. And so that's kind of what I'm, I want to talk about. I want to investigate this idea tonight. Um, a while back, I was reading in my Bible, and I was re- reading through the Old Testament, and we got to Isaiah 42, 21. Um, this is kind of the main verse I kind of want to unpack tonight. And I'm just going to apologize in advance. Normally, I would like to stick on one text and kind of work through it, but tonight I'm going to be bouncing all over. So I just apologize in advance. Um, if, in your Bibles, if you got a Bible, um, I'll just give you, I'll be in Matthew 5 and Romans 3 a lot. So if, if, as I'm bouncing around, you can kind of, I'll point out some of the verses. But the main verse tonight, and I think I wrote it on top of your note sheet, um, is Isaiah 42, 21. It says, The Lord was pleased for his righteousness' sake, to make the law great and glorious. And I, I just read this, when I read this, I just stopped and thought, that is a really interesting verse. What is does that say? And in, in the NIV, it says, "...it pleased the Lord for the sake of his righteousness, to make the law great and glorious." Um, so, yeah, I was just, what is this saying? "...it pleased God for his righteousness' sake, to make the law great and glorious." So there's a lot of questions here. What is, what is the law? What is righteousness? What are these religious terms that we've thrown around? Um, and why was God pleased to make the law great and glorious? Isn't the law a bad thing? Why, why did he do that? And so that's kind of the thing I want to talk about tonight. Is this verse and God's, you know, God's pleasure in making the law great and glorious. And so there's kind of five main points we're going to work through tonight. Um, God's righteousness, God's law, our sin our great need, and our Savior. So those are the kind of the points if you're taking notes. Um, so the first thing, I just, I just, what does righteousness mean? What does it mean um, that God is righteous? What is righteousness? And so I looked it up I, on the internet. I said, well, well, looked up some definitions. And then there was one that, the state of moral perfection required by God to enter heaven. Okay, the state of moral perfection required by God to enter heaven. That was one definition. Another one was, um, in accordance with high moral standards. So whatever is in accordance with a high moral standards, that's righteous. And as I even thought about this more, I thought, well, to righteousness is the state of being righteous. I mean, just whatever, the righteousness is the state of being righteous. And even dumbed down further for myself was, it's the state of being good. Being good. And so that was my thought. Well, but what does good mean? That was kind of the next question that came to my mind. What does good mean? And I would say that we all have a different definition of good. If you, anyone you ask on the street, you ask them, you know, like, what does good mean to you? And they're going to say, well, good means this. Well, I could ask a different person, what does good mean to you? And they would say, give me a different answer of what good means. And so, you know, if, if I were to ask people, if you were to die today, you know, would you go to heaven or hell? Most, like I said earlier, most people are going to say, well, I'm a pretty good person. So I think I'm going to go to heaven. And I would just challenge you, what is the first thought that comes in your mind when you say, if you were to die today, where would you go, to heaven or hell? What, what do you think about yourself? Where would you go? Would you go to heaven or hell? And think of the thought that comes in your mind, your reason for where you'd go. What's the first thought that pops into your mind? And so I was thinking, well, Hitler has a definition of good. I have a definition of good. Everyone has a different definition of good, but it doesn't really matter. What matters is... God's definition of good because we're all going to stand before God one day and I want to know what his definition of good is to see if I qualify if I'm good and so that's um, that's kind of my that's what I really want to get at tonight and when I say good people go to heaven um, I would say that they're also people are not exactly wrong in saying this but it depends on their definition of good good people go to heaven well who's good and So I'd say it's correct theology, but an incorrect definition of good, because we often put our definition of good on, and we need to look at God's. So Isaiah 22-41 says, The Lord was pleased for his righteousness' sake to make the law great and glorious. So what what is God's righteousness? What does that mean, that God is righteous? And so to understand God's righteousness, we need to understand his law. We need to understand his law. I like God's standard of good. We need to understand what God's standard of good is. And you think about this, if you're writing a paper for college and you need to write a paper and you write your best paper possible and you think this is an A paper and you turn it into the teacher and you get it back a week later and it's an F. But, and you're like, why did I get an F? Well, she says, well, you didn't follow the rubric. You didn't, I told you you needed these points. And you're like, well, I didn't know that. Because if you didn't know her rubric or how she grade the paper, how can you live up to it? How can you do it? So you need to, we can often think we're good until we know the law. We, we need to understand the law. Another example is this is, we can often think we're good until we know the law. I had a friend who was hunting on the, uh, over here in the Bridgers, and he shot this nice buck, and he thought it was great, and him and his brother were there, and they were taking pictures and, and laughing it up, high-fiving each other. It was this huge, nice, muley buck, and they posted a picture on Facebook. Um, First problem right there, <laughs> they posted a picture on Facebook. And a guy, one of his friends, called him up and said, hey man, I know where you're at right now. That's, that's private property. And he was like, no, it can't be. I know for certain this is not private property. I know, I'm gonna, do. and he got down to his truck and sure enough, he got out his little regs book and looked it up and sure enough, it was private property. And all of his joy quickly you know, came to just shame and desire. oh, what am I gonna do? And He ended up taking this buck, he turned it in, he lost the buck. And all this stuff. And so he, what he thought was good and we thought he, when he thought he was okay, when he really found out what the law was, he was devastated. And so the same way, we can often think we're good until we understand God's law. We can often think we're good. So we need to understand God's law before, that we, before we say that we're good. Um, so what is God's law? That's the next part. What, what is God's law? God's law. Um, a quick a simple way to define God's law is to just look at the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. What are some of the Ten Commandments? And the Ninth Commandment is, Thou shalt not lie. And so, are we to go through here and say, how have you done at living up to God's commandment, the Ninth Law? Thou shalt not lie. Have you ever told a lie? And if you're like me, you've told many. You've told many. So, you know, we fail that test. How about another one that says, Thou shalt not steal... Like, how have you done at keeping that in your entire life? Have you ever stolen anything? If you're like me, I stole lots of things before Christ. I stole many things, unfortunately. And so, I mean, where are you at? So did you, how do you do keeping that law? Or what about the seventh commandment? says you shall not commit adultery. How, and you're like, oh, well, I definitely haven't done that one. But when Jesus said that if you look with lust at a woman or you desire someone else, that's committing adultery in God's eyes. So that's God's definition of adultery. And so if you're like me, you're like, oh, I've, I've definitely done that. I've definitely done that. How about the sixth commandment is you shall not murder. And you're like, okay, I'll well, definitely have done that one. But what did Jesus say about murder? He said, if you're angry with your brother, it's committing murder in God's eyes. So if you're just angry with your brother, it's committing murder. And so if you look at that, that's how, how do we measure up to this? Well, we just, if you're like me, you're a liar, you're a thief, you're an adulteress at heart and a murderer at heart in God's eyes. So if you're to stand before God, how would you measure up? How would we measure up? Um, and, that, and some people are like, well, Jesus came and we have the new, they're not, I do the Old Testament. Well, what did Jesus said? Jesus said the law and the, the law could be summed up on two points, to love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so how have, you done, how have you done keeping that one? If you're like me, when you're going to leave here, you'll probably think about this for a little bit, and then you're going to forget God. And you're not going to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You're just not. And that's what Jesus did, though. I mean, we're going we're to fail at that time and time again. So this is God's law. And you've got to look at yourself. How do I stand in front of God's law? And if you're like me, and I think if you're honest, you're going to say, I'm guilty. I've broken it all. So... Galatians 3.10 said, says, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. God says, cursed are you. If you don't keep all the law, cursed are you. That's what God says about lawbreakers. And so this is our sin. Our failure to keep God's law is, that's what sin is. It's our breaking of God's law. And he said, "Whoever keep, in James 2.10, it says, whoever keeps the whole law but stumbles in one point is guilty of it all. And so that, that's, God has made this law so great and glorious that if you even fall at one point, you're guilty of all of it. That's how great and glorious this law of God is. Um, Romans 3.23, if, I'm going to hit some verses in there if you want to look with me at Romans Romans 3.23. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. And we're going to go to the third chapter. And so look at just a very simple verse, Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is the state of mankind. We have all sinned and fallen short of the, There is no one who is not a sinner on this earth. Everyone has fallen short of the law of God, of God's glory, and we we're all sinners. Look at Romans 3.20, just a couple verses. It goes, it says this, Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So that's one of the reasons God gave us this law, was so that we would see our sin. Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And go up a little bit further, Romans 3.10. It says, There is no one righteous, no, not one no one righteous there's no one good and so when people say well good people go to heaven okay well that may be true but there's no one good there's absolutely no one good no one there's no one good in themselves look at if you want flip over to Matthew 548 flip over to Matthew 5 i want you to see this verse so you can get a picture of God's righteousness this is what Jesus said Matthew 5, 48, he said, Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay, that's what he said. You must be perfect. You must be absolutely perfect. That's what what God requires, is perfection. And so, like, if that phrase, good people go to heaven, yeah, I guess that's true if good means perfect. Because perfect people go to heaven. Perfect. Perfect. And so think of your own life, and how have you done at keeping God's law? This whole law that if you break it at one point, you're going to be guilty, that you need to be perfect. If you're like me, you've failed miserably. Um, You see, God is perfect, and he demands perfection. And no unholy thing, no broken thing can be in God's presence. He demands perfection. God is perfectly righteous, and he has made his law great and glorious, to reflect his perfection his law is great and glorious because he's an awesome and holy god and that reflects who he is the law of god reflects the righteousness of god and the the bible calls the law of god the law of righteousness it is the law of righteousness it's a perfect law and so i try to think of a good example of how i could demonstrate this for you so picture with me the grand canyon um, I'm sure you've all seen pictures of the Grand Canyon. It's over 6,000 feet deep at its deepest place. And so imagine with me that you are down in the bottom of the Grand Canyon, at the very bottom, and, you're, and all of humanity is lined up. And there's people from all places, all countries of the world, all nations, all religions, and you're just facing this sheer wall of the Grand Canyon is right before you. Um, and you know... Imagine that, you know, to get to God, i got to climb this wall. i got to get over this wall. Um, i got to make it there somehow. And so you look around, and everyone is jumping to try and climb this wall. But they all have huge packs on their backs full of rocks. And so they jump up, and they fall immediately down. And so this is everyone is there just jumping and jumping and grabbing on this wall, but they're all just coming right back down. They don't make an inch of progress. Okay, And so in this example, I want you to think that this wall, the canyon wall, is like God's law. It's God's righteousness. And we're down here in the trench trying to do good, trying to be good, trying to earn ourselves salvation, trying to jump up and hang on. But we have these weights filled of sin that keeps us coming right back down. So we've got James 2.10. You must be perfect. You must keep the whole law. And so we keep on slamming back to the earth. We're trying to jump up. Okay. And so this is... And imagine at the beginning of the, the source of the Grand Canyon, there's a volcano. And you know that this, vol, this volcano could erupt at any time and send hot molten lava ripping through the canyon. So everyone's in a kind of a state of frantic. And so they're just jumping, they're trying to do good, they're trying to get up. But that, okay, imagine that. Okay, that's what this is like. Um, and so in today's world, of just today's world, there's two strategies of, of escape that I call it tonight. There's two strategies of escape for trying to get out of this situation, to get out from under God's law. Um, the first one is an attempt to save themselves, which is really an attempt to become righteous, t- an attempt to make themselves good. And I, so they do this in three ways. Um, the first one is by redefining God's standard. They redefine the law. And you can see this people all over the world. They just redefine the law and they say, well, I think God just requires that I be baptized. God just requires that I be circumcised. God just requires that I go to church every week and that I go to cross life and that I join a Sunday school class. Or I pray five times a day and I go to the mosque on Fridays. Or I do this, and if I do this enough, I'll get reincarnated and I'll become this. And if I reincarnate enough times, it's just you just reinvent God's law and you say, at the end, I'm going to be good enough, but it's really you've just reinvented God's law and what makes... what what pleases God. The second thing they do is redefine God's punishment. Um, and so what is God's punishment? The wrath of God, you can sum up in hell. Hell is God's punishment. And I, I think of so many times um, where I've ran into people who, who laugh at the idea of hell. I remember I, one of the football players um, on the MSU football team when I was playing football here, I, I, I was talking to him about Jesus and about heaven and hell, and he said, I want to go to hell because it's going to be a better party. I just remember looking at him I said, no, it's not. It's not going to be a better party. It's going to be a place of misery and a place of torment. And Matthew 10, 20, it says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but, kills, but fear him who kills both body and soul in hell. That's who we're to fear. And so that's another way they get out from under this, is they redefine God's punishment and say, Oh, it's just gonna, hell is nothing. I'm not worried about it. It's going to be a better party than heaven anyway. The next thing they do is redefine God. They just redefined who God is. And this is, I call this atheism. This is what they just, they just look at the wall, this wall in front of them and it doesn't exist. But it's right there in front of them. The, you know, the Bible doesn't argue for an existence of God. The Bible just says in, in Psalms 14.1, it says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. That's what it just says, he's a fool. If he doesn't believe in God, he's a fool. And if living in Bozeman with these mountains and this, this beautiful landscape we have, to just look here and say, there is no God. Yeah, you're, a, that, that, you're a fool. And in Romans 1, it says, there's what, what's known about God has been made clear, but men suppress the truth. And so according to the Bible, according to Romans 1, there's no such thing as an atheist. They just suppress the truth. What's known about God is clearly seen. And so these are the three ways of a kind of escape. Um, the, second, or the, three, the second way or second strategy of escape is to look for righteousness outside of themselves. To look for righteousness somewhere else. Um, So this gives our next part, our great need. Our great need. And so Nahum 1.3 says, The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. The Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. So some people think I'm just, uh, I know I'm a sinner, I know I'm this, but God's just going to look his other way and let me walk into heaven. And this verse is saying, no, he won't. You've broken God's law, and he's just not going to look the other way. He's not going to do that. He's going to judge you. And so this is our great need. Our great need is righteousness. But as I've explained, we don't have it. In and of ourselves, we don't have any righteousness. Um, Like I said before, there is no one righteous. But that is our great need. In Matthew 5, 6, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who realize that they're not righteous and they look for that righteousness somewhere else. They long for it. They hunger and thirst for righteousness outside of themselves. So imagine um, you're back in the canyon and everyone's jumping. Everyone's jumping at this wall trying to climb up and their sin's throwing them back down to the ground. And finally, after years of jumping, you're tired and you're worn out and you just say, God, I see your law. I see what you desire for perfection and I can never do it. And you just sit down and just say, God, you have to save me. If you you don't save me, I'm never going to get out. I'm never going to live up to that standard. You have to save me. You have to do something. My righteousness is nothing. My righteousness is filthy rags. You need to do something. Okay? Um, So this is where our Savior comes in. The last point, our Savior. This is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus came. So imagine everyone's lined up in the pit or down in the canyon. Some people are jumping. Some people are just going, I can't do it. I... And Jesus comes, Jesus, God came to the world as a man and he lived under the law perfectly. He did everything perfect. He lived it completely. Um, it's in Matthew five 7, seventeen, it says, Jesus said, do not think I came to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. See, Jesus came and he lived under the law perfectly. He did everything in the law perfectly. Imagine him down in, that, in the trench with you, but he just starts jumping and climbing and scaling the wall, and you just watch him, he takes off, because he's living up to that righteousness. He's doing everything perfect, okay? And he gets to the top. And you know what Jesus did once he got back to the top? He came back down, down to the bottom of the canyon. And as the volcano, as the wrath of God was coming out, burning down, Jesus stood in your place, and that volcanic wrath of God crushed Jesus. In Isaiah 53, it says it pleased Yahweh, it pleased God to crush him. And so that's, what, that's why Jesus came. He lived under the righteousness. He came back down and the, the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. That's why Jesus came. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.21, a great verse to know. Um, It says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Okay, so I just want you to think about this. It says, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, who was perfect. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. So God took our sin that we earned and he put it on Christ. And Christ paid for it. We traded places with Jesus. On the cross, as Jesus died for our sins, God poured out his wrath that we deserved on Jesus for us. This is what, God, this is what Jesus did. This is the gospel. This is the good news. And it doesn't stop there. That verse goes on. It says, so that we might become the righteousness of him. So it's not only that our sins have been forgiven, but we have been given God's perfect righteousness. Jesus' perfect righteousness. His 33 years of perfect life have been given to us. And he took our wretched years of however long we're going to be on earth, of sin, he took them and paid for them. That's what Jesus has done for us. Romans 4, 5 says, But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith... is accredited to to him as righteousness. So how do we get God's righteousness? How do we get Jesus' righteousness? By faith, not by working. Not by working, by faith, by trusting in Jesus that he will cover me, that he will pay my fine, that he is my righteousness. That it's not me. He is my righteousness. Uh, Romans 10.4 says that Christ is the end of the law of righteousness for everyone who believes. The law, this great wall, collapses before your eyes when you believe in Christ. He, he is the end of the wall. He's the end of the canyon because you've trusted in His righteousness, and he has already climbed it. You see, there's two, two functions of the law. there's many functions of the law, but two tonight is the one is the law, great and glorious, brings glory to Christ because he kept it. He lived it perfectly. He's the glorious one who kept God's law perfectly. So it brings glory to Christ. And the the second thing is the law leads us to Christ. The law points us to Christ. It shows us our sin and points us to Christ. Galatians 3.24 Believers, you should know this verse because it's useful in evangelism. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. You see, the law... When, we're, when we measure ourselves up by God's standard, we realize we need Christ. It's a tutor to bring us to Christ. It's a schoolmaster. It, it drives us to Christ. But one more final point. Jesus saves those who know they are sick, unrighteous sinners in need of righteousness. You see, Jesus does, does not save those who think they're okay, who think they're good, who think, oh, I'm a pretty good person. Now, Jesus doesn't save them. Jesus saves the one who is, are in the pit and who are know they can never measure up to the law, they never can climb out, but they say, God, you must save me. Those are the ones Jesus saves. Uh, Matthew or Mark 2.17, Jesus said, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus, Jesus made it clear. It says, I, I did not come for those who think they're healthy who think they're okay, who think they're good enough on their own. I came for those who know they're sick. And that's where we're all at. Some of you might not know it, but that's where we're all desperately sick. We're all sinners and broken and in desperate need of God's righteousness. But I just hope that you can see that. I hope that you can realize that I can't gain it. I can never be good enough. But I stand before God, if I say, oh, I was a pretty good guy, he's going to say, no, no, not according to my law, not according to this great great and glorious law. You see, we, sometimes we say, I'm pretty good in light of other people around me. I'm pretty good And that person's doing this and this person's doing this, and, but I'm pretty good and I'm not doing that. But God doesn't look at other people. He looks at his great and glorious law and he knows you can never, come, you can never pass it. You can never get around it. And so we need someone else's righteousness. Flip with me, we're going to close on Luke 18. Uh, if you've got a Bible, I really want you to see this. So flip with me to Luke 18. I'm going to read a little short story here. Luke 18, starting in verse 9. um, It says, verse 9 says, And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Okay, just think about that. Jesus told this parable for those who thought they were good. For those who trusted in their own goodness. Who thought, when I get to heaven, I'm just going to be a good guy. And God's going to let me in. This is why Jesus, this is why Jesus, Jesus told this parable for those people. And, so, so, and he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up to, to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people I just love this story. You see this, this Pharisee, he doesn't, I mean, he just says, God, I thank you that I'm not doing this, or I'm not doing this. And it's not a terrible prayer, but you see he's, he's comparing himself to other people. Whereas this, this tax collector comes and he says, I, I don't even want to look at the temple. I can't even look. God, you just, you have to save me. You have to save me. I, can, I don't deserve it. I'm in just need of righteousness. And who, who goes away justified? Who goes away? It's the, it's the tax collector. Because he realizes he can't do anything. He realizes he's in desperate need of a foreign righteous. He needs Jesus' righteousness applied to him. And he realized that. So that's my question to you. When you think of that question, if you were to stand before God tonight, would you go to heaven or hell? What's that first thought that pops into your mind? Because if you're a believer, it shouldn't be, well, I'm a pretty good person. And I've kept, I've gone to church my whole life. And I, I even you know, led worship and I, I even did some miracles and I taught people about you. Like, that is not, no, Jesus is going to say no, no. Like, when, when we stand before him, we better say something like, no, I deserved hell. I, des- I earned hell. But Jesus came and I've trusted in him. That's what we better say. So let's, let's pray. God, I just thank you that you've made the law great and glorious, Lord. You've made this law to show us that we are in desperate need of Christ, Lord. Lord, I, I just pray for the people in this room who are trusting in their own righteousness, Lord. Who are trusting in their own goodness, Lord. And they just think that I'm just going to make it to heaven, Lord, on my own good. Lord, I just pray for them, God. I pray that your, your spirit would move in their hearts, show them their just utter Despair and their wretchedness in front of you, Lord. I pray for those in this room who don't believe in God, God, that you just wake them up. Lord, and I pray for um, the believers in this room, in the, bo- in the body of the church here, Lord. I just pray that you would use this message, Lord, they find something in this message that could be just encouraging to them and that they could use it to witness to their friends, Lord, and that they would, through this message, love you more. May that just be the desire of all of our hearts, God. May I love Christ more. May all these people love Jesus more. Would we see day by day how much we deserve hell and how great Jesus was and what he did for us and how much love and adoration he deserves? God, would we just be, um, God, would we just be your church? Would we be the people who love you and love people here on campus and in town here, Lord? God, would we just bring glory to your name?